as I was driving to church this morning, I had the honor and privilege of bringing Bella with me. Um, I don't know if she's still in the room. Um, but uh, this passage of scripture is about um, Paul offering some mentoring to this church. And um, Bella was mentoring me on my way to church this morning. I must have not been my usual self. I, I call it event mode, and I get in the mode, and I, I don't say as much as I usually do. But I'm mentoring her this year, so she knows how I am normally. And so she's like, how are you? And I could tell she was a little. Um, and I said, I'm good. I'm just, I'm just thinking about the, the sermon this morning already, a little distracted. And, and she said, this is where she mentored me. She said, we're all human, Diane. It's okay to make mistakes. So here we go. <laughs> all right, I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to enter in. God, I thank you that we have this moment to enter into your word, and we get to be mentored by Paul this morning. I ask that we would allow ourselves to let you speak to us. May my words be your words, your words my words, that we get so confused in, in who you are that we only see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Confused already? Great. All right. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We're in a series called Imitators Becoming More Like Christ. Today we're going to look at the motives uh-oh, motives. Nobody likes to hear that word. Um, we're going to look at Paul's motives this morning, and then we're also going to try to look in the mirror a little bit um, about our own motives as well. Paul is writing this letter from Athens, actually, um, and he's writing to the church of Thessalonica. Paul is cheering on a group of brand new believers brand new believers in Jesus Christ. Paul is helping them see the important things so that they stay excited about their new faith and they do not become discouraged in their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Paul was with the Thessalonian church for just a few short weeks when he went to visit them. In, in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul does a little recap of his time that he spent with them so that they can, they can remember because it was such a short visit. He wants to recap it for them. But we're going to go and look in the book of Acts first because the book of Acts actually shows us what happened. So we're going to look at uh, Acts 17, and we're just going to read uh, a few verses from there. We can read about um, Paul's visit. Oh, it's, you can't see it very well. I'm a little sad about that. Okay. Um, so he, he, Paul and Silas had just left Philippi, and Philippi is is um, over uh, up towards the top. It's that top red dot that you can't see. You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> this I just needed to get my sense of where things were when I was reading this. So they had just left Philippi, and then they went uh, through the towns of Apophilus and Amphilia, or however you say that, and came to Thessalonica. So um, they kind of went. Um, from Philippi around the top there, and then landed in, in Thessalonica. And there was a Jewish synagogue, and it says, as Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. Now, as Paul's custom, it's kind of twofold at this point. Paul was Jewish, and so, of course, he would have gone to the closest synagogue that day. But the second part of his custom is a little bit newer in his life, and it says this, 
For three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with people. Paul had also recently converted to Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus in in Acts chapter 9, Paul wanted to make sure that his Jewish brothers and sisters also knew that Jesus was the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. The fact that they let him stay for three Sabbaths is actually pretty big. But he was talking about the Old Testament, so they were connecting with him. It says here in verse 3, he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and raise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. After Paul had left in that short time, Paul wrote to this group. He wanted to make sure that he was pastorally still caring for them, even though he was far away. Paul had been chased out after a couple weeks that he had, he, when he had been there. Many of Paul's letters actually are written because his leadership was being questioned. And because something was going on in the lo- local church, usually. But oftentimes it was because his motives were being questioned. In chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul seems to be defending what had happened while he was there on those three Sabbaths. 1 Thessalonians 2, as Brian read it this morning, it says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Okay, so this is Paul defending himself. As I was reading this, I'm thinking, why does he say it? Like that. And so I decided to read it in a few more translations, and the New Living Translation said this You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Yeah, I heard the crowd on the failure, right? When we hear that word failure, it's strong. It's a strong term for most people. Don't let your children fail. Do let your children fail. Make sure they fail at home before they go out or else they won't be functioning adults, right? Most of our adult life, actually, is about not failing, isn't it? Just trying to get, get through life without failing at something every single day, whether it's parenting, your job, making sure you take a shower, whatever it is. Most of our waking hours are about trying to not fail. We want to do better. We want to be better. We don't like failing. I looked at it in two more, no, two more translations. The message translation says, Friends, it's obvious that our visit to you was not a waste of time. The amplified version says this, For you know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you has not been ineffective, fruitless, or in vain. Greek word, kanos, meaning without value, empty, or not true. That word empty makes me think about that word failure. We feel empty when we fail. Because this is Paul's response 
it probably means that people were questioning if his whole ministry was even worthwhile or if it was empty. Paul was letting the church of Thessalonica know that there was meaning in him being there. It was very important. And if it wasn't important to people, it was at least important to God. Even if it was only for three Sabbaths. Paul's motives were questioned a lot. And I will say that they weren't just questions questioned, but oftentimes people put motives on Paul. They assumed what was in his heart. They weren't really asking. Now this morning I want to give us a little bit of space so that we can come to a healthy understanding of our own motives as we look at Paul's motives and to see if our own motives align with the desires that God has for us. Now, I came up with three sets of questions. I'm not saying that they're the perfect questions or the only questions we can be asking. But as I looked at this passage of Scripture, these were the three sets of questions that came to mind. The first one is, what do I value versus what does God value? What do I want versus what does God want for me? And the last one, how do I get what I want versus how does God get what he wants in my life? Why do these three sets of questions matter? We have to look at Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. Why? Because Kayla thought we should. It's a good enough answer. All scripture is good. But when I read it, I was like, she's right. We really should look at this. So uh, verse 8 says, my thoughts, not Kayla's thoughts, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Thank goodness, right? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God's ways, higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. This is a great two verses. These are two great verses to help us really journey through life. Think about how we are aligning ourselves with Christ. Whether it's today in this little moment or all the time. Let's consider the first set of questions. What do I value Versus what does God value? From verse verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 2, we can see that the people are wondering what is valuable about Paul's ministry, right? We already talked about that. Verse 2 says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. I love that word, outrageously. In Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God... Of our God, we dared to tell you this, his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had just been chased out of Philippi by a mob. The mob attacked Paul and Silas. The local officials beat them and imprisoned them. Timothy was untouched because he was Greek. Paul and Silas were Jewish, so they were treated with great hostility. As I was thinking about just this one verse, I kind of got 
a little bit, no, a lot convicted, actually. Because I started to think about what do I value versus what God values when I read just this one verse. I value life that's easy, uncomplicated, without conflict. I I don't like conflict. Without opposition. It's easier, right? People had treated him outrageously. He really deserved a break in reality. But thankfully, Paul is way more faithful than I was or ever will be. He was a pastor that was in tune with what he needed to do. He had God's values first, not his own. I'm sure he values similar things, easy, without conflict. Even in the face of strong opposition, he preached the gospel. As Paul moved on to Thessalonica, after his difficult departure from Philippi, many more came to Christ. That pretty much confirms he had God's values ahead of his own. So let's jump back to to Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers (laughs) from the marketplace and went to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out into the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble over caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. We can see from this passage that it is assumed that Paul and Silas had ulterior motives. They were assuming this simply for bringing the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul and Silas were accused of defying Caesar's decrees because they were talking about another king. Jesus, therefore, therefore they needed to escape from Thessalonica. And for Paul's safety, he went to Athens. And this is where he was writing the letters that were sent back with Timothy because it was safest for Timothy to travel. And Again, in the face of opposition, Paul wrote these letters. He was willing to do this because he knew it was God's priorities. Take a moment. What do you value that you know for a fact that God also values? What do you value that you know for a fact God also values. If you want to, you can actually write it down. What do I value that God also values? We actually need to be asking ourselves this question daily. What does God want me to be valuing? Or on the flip side of that, what am I valuing too much. 
that may not be from God. We need to be asking God daily for him to be speaking to our task list. Does anybody else have one of those? Our task list, how we spend our time on things. What does he value when I look at that list? A lot of it he values. Probably a lot of it he doesn't as well. How do I spend my time? Am I spending time in the Word? Am I spending time in prayer? When I do those two things, it's amazing how my task list seems way more focused on what God wants. Sometimes it means the big things, like staying focused on writing your sermon each week, right? It's harder than you think. But oftentimes it's just the little things. Making sure you're paying attention to the people around you so that they know the love of Christ. Quality time in prayer. Quality time with the word of God. Exercise. Quality time with family. Noticing who needs your assistance and noticing who does not need your assistance. Tricky. Time for rest and restoration. We must keep asking ourselves, what does God value? And am I living that out in my daily life? Because you can know what God values, but not live it out, right? It's super easy. I know what God values. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. It's easier. Got to pay attention. Today after worship, we're going to ask ourselves this question big picture for this church. What does God value? Got to get ourselves in a different way of thinking, maybe. How will we choose the values that will impact how we move forward in our congregation? All right, let's move on to the second set of questions. What do I want versus what does God want for me? Verse 3 in First Thessalonians 2 For the appeal we make does not spring from error, impure motives, or or are we trying to trick you? Now remember, Paul's trying to defend himself at this time against naysayers. As he wrote this, we must hear him saying the words with this in mind. What does he mean by these words? The word error in the scriptures here is referring to something that is not based in truth. Now, one thing I know about Paul is he is a truth teller, probably much to his own demise at times. He thrived on making sure people knew the truth. He loved to tell the truth. Paul based his whole life after he was converted on presenting the gospel The idea that people were questioning whether or not he was telling the truth probably cut him right to the core. There's no way that Paul would have been living this out if he did not believe that it was fully true. He was not trying to spread some lie or to trick people, as it says in the end of this verse. He wanted people to know the truth, and he was defending that. To Paul, these accusations, of course, needed to be addressed in his letter, not just for himself, but for the people of Thessalonica, so that they could know 
that they were standing up for the right things, even though there were humans that were trying to debunk what he had said. The next word to pay attention in this verse is the word impure. impure. The word here refers to sexual immorality or fleshly desires. Paul took his purity very seriously. But I also want to think about, for us, our bodies, whether we like it or not, have a huge impact on our spiritual lives. When our bodies don't feel good, oftentimes right away we we don't feel good about our spiritual life either. Think about it just for a minute. If you just focus on one physical attribute in our lives, sleep. Why don't you come to church? Well, because it's the only day that I get to sleep in all week. Why don't you get up early and read the word? Because I'm tired. Why why don't you pray at night? Because I fall asleep, right? Our physical lives actually impact our spiritual lives. Our bodies, if we let them, can rule our spiritual lives. Think about that for a second. That's a little scary to me. This is one of the reasons that fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's a way to get your body under the submission of Jesus Christ. It's a way that we can let our bodies cry out and tell it no and connect deeply with God. We need to see that God wants our lives to be more important than our fleshly desires. He wants us to get our fleshly desires under control so that we can hear his voice. Moving on to verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Another thing we need to keep in check when we are trying to hear from God is the wants and needs of the people around us. We need to find a way to silence those voices of people. We want God to test our hearts, not humans. We must remember that we are approved by God to be responsible stewards of the gospel. We have to keep our our focus on God the way he wants us to live our lives out. We we need his desires to be at the forefront of our lives and rather than everybody else who's speaking into our lives. People will question your motives. Paul's motives were questioned, but he stayed on course. In reality, as long as we live, our motives will be questioned. True? As we enter into this process after church today, we will be seeking to please God, not people. Now, this concept is hard because we have to work hard at it because people's voices are oftentimes a lot louder than God's voice. So um, a few years ago, just a few. I was watching an episode of Friends. Does anybody remember Friends? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Phoebe um, wanted to prove or disprove that humans couldn't do anything without selfish motives. And her litmus test was that if you did something nice, 
Something nice couldn't come back to you, and then you knew it was without selfish motives. Of course, the whole episode, she's trying to do something nice, right? You remember this one? And and uh, she never accomplished it. She always felt foiled at the end of it that she couldn't just do something nice. She always got something nice in return. Now, I don't really think this is how God does this heart test for us. But it didn't make me think a little more deeply about why I am doing something nice for someone else. If we live our lives only pleasing humans, we will get way off course. Think about a compass. Did you know that there's an app in your phone? And if you want to open it up, you can. But put it on airplane mode first or else y'all totally lose you. So, um, If you want to walk due north, I was trying to do this in my office. Okay, so this says this is north this way. So if I want to go north, I have to walk like this with my compass, and I got to keep it right on the zeros. Okay, so this is what my phone looks like. And I got to keep it right on the zero. Now, if I get just a little bit off and decide I'm going to pick the most godly person in the room and I'm going to follow them just one degree off, and I get one degree off... I'm going to be probably in a very different direction than if I had followed God in this direction towards north. Now, you can, you can listen to this person, but then you've got to get back on course. You can hear from other believers, but you've got to get back on course. And you need to put God as your true north. Matthew 5.8, and there's a typo here, I know. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It goes both ways. So here's the litmus test for us. God can always see our hearts. He knows exactly why we just did what we did, right? But the real way to see if we have a pure heart is can we see God? Are we seeing God in this moment? We must take time to seek God's heart, prayer, listening to the word, through worship. A couple of weeks ago in the women's Bible study, and I actually um, did this with the youth over the uh, chick weekend as, as well. We were, we were walking and we were trying to listen for the voice of God. We were drawing pictures and trying to listen for the voice of God. And, and the question came up, well, how do we know if it's my voice or God's voice? That is an excellent question, people, and we really should be asking it every single day. Is that my voice or is that God's voice? So there's a set of questions that I learned a long time ago from a great organization um, called Adventures and Missions. And we were on a mission trip, and we were like, how do we know if it's from God or not? And they gave us these five questions. The first question you ask yourself is, does it glorify God? Yes. That's usually an easy one if you're already a believer. Every once in a while, it doesn't glorify God. Does it align with Scripture? You have to really think about this one. Um, you, you're, not, you're not like trying to proof text it or whatever, but you're, you're, I use the example and everybody gasps, so you're ready. If I heard I'm supposed to murder someone, <laughs> how do I know it's not true in script, from Scripture? Thou shalt not murder, right? That, that one's easy. The littler ones are harder to figure out. But that's the idea. You're looking to make sure 
that you are aligning yourself with the scriptures as well. Do other believers confirm it? Remember I just said don't listen to, to people? No, we still listen to other believers and ask other believers, but we got to make sure we're listening to God fully as well. Does it bear good fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control? Did I get gentleness? Did I miss gentleness? Okay. Um, does God, the last one, I like this one because it takes the heat off of me. Does God make it happen? I can just ride that. These are the kinds of questions we can be asking ourselves daily, casually, or even not so casually. We could do this every day. Are these motives my motives or God's motives? What direction does he want me to go in my life? All right, let's look at the last set of questions here. How do I go about getting the things I want in life? (laughs) And how does God want me to go about getting things he wants for my life? Verse 5 says this. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Yikes. That's a real motive buster, isn't it? Did I use flattery to try to get what I wanted? Did I mask something to cover up greed? And the really scary part is God's the witness on that. He knows our hearts, not people. Now this next verse convicts me a lot. Verse 6, we are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. I'm going to be really honest with you. I thrive on doing nice things and helping other people. I always want to help other people. It's a disease, really. It seems nice, but it's not. And being a pastor, it's a double-edged sword. Because, yes, of course, that's a big part of my job. But it also can be a huge part of distracting me from my job. Because I want to help everyone. Not just who God is calling me to help. And you know how I know if I've helped everyone? I get praised. See how this is not a good thing in my line of work? That means I'm trying to please people and not God. I don't know what your thing is, but that's mine. I have to test this one daily in my life. I fail, just like Bella told me. We're all human, Diana. We're going to fail. But I need to really get focused on, does God think I'm doing a good job, not other people? We all must look in the mirror and discover how we get what we want. We must shift the gaze from the mirror to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to look at his ways of getting what we want. It's not what we want, it's what he wants. And when we get going real good, what he wants is what I want. Sometimes Jesus upset people. But he always followed God's plan. All the way to the cross, 
Think about it for a moment. How do you get what you want in your own life? Paul talks about the apostles. How they did and didn't get to let God have his way in ministry. Verse 6 continues, Even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, they could have powered up. Instead, they were like young children among, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That is mentoring, our lives as well, sharing our lives. These men were gentle. They shared their lives, yet Paul and Silas' motives were still questioned. Often in ministry, our motives are questions, and the reality is our motives should be questioned, but questioned by God. I feel bad for Paul in this, in this part of the story because his motives should not be questioned because when you think about it, what did he have to gain? Heartache, imprisonment, beatings? Who would sign up for that? I was watching a talk show host this, this week, and one of the actresses said, my wisest words of wisdom from other actors and actresses were, if you can do anything else in life, do it. It's kind of like ministry. If you're called to anything else, do it. But we are called, not just me, we are called to the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are called to follow through on what God's calling us to do. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. It's from the book of James. Let's jump back to Thessalonians 2.9. We hear it again. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not burden, to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we are among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other, each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you to this kingdom and glory. Can we say this is true about ourselves? These are challenging words. Do I toil for God? Am I working to not be a burden to others? Am I seeking righteousness? Am I dealing with people as if they're my own children? Am I encouraging, comforting, and urging others to live lives worthy of God's call to the kingdom? For surely, not every day. But we can ask ourselves, am I following God today in this moment? Verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are a 
are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things. Those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets who drove us out. They despise, they displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. I love that today it talked about being imitators of the church. The day that we're coming together and deciding as a congregation, not, not just the executive board, not just the BSL, not just the staff, but together we are going to imitate the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to come together today and be the church. Let's pray. God, we so want to be able to imitate you even in our own motives, but it's so hard because motives are inside and we think no one can see them. But you can, God. And so we ask, God, that you would allow us to let our hearts be revealed to you and that we would align our hearts with yours. In your holy name we pray. Amen.